From the nation's capital, this is D.C. Public Safety. I'm your host, Leonard Sipes. Ladies and gentlemen, Veterans Treatment Court is the topic for today. Uh, we have three extraordinary guests before our microphones. Aaron Arnold is the Director of Treatment Court Programs at the Center for Court Innovation. Aaron oversees the Center's National Training and Technical Assistance for Drug Courts. Greg Crawford is a Correctional Program Specialist um, on, at the uh, Community Services Division at the National Institute of Corrections. Uh, Greg's experience prior to the National Institute of Corrections includes over 14 years as a probation department person and a community-based mental health agency expert. We have Ruby Kozenbosch. Uh, she is the, did I get that right or did I screw that up? Kozenbosch. Kozenbosch. Good enough. Um, Ruby <laughs> is the Associate Deputy Director for Justice Systems Policy at the Bureau of Justice Assistance within the U.S. Department of Justice. She leads a team of policy staff and program and policy development aimed at improving state, local, and tribal justice systems. To all three of you, welcome to D.C. Public Safety. Thanks, Len. All right. Veterans Treatment Court, it is exploding. It is growing like wildfire throughout the United States. So somebody give me, Greg, give me an an overview of what Veterans Treatment Court is. Well, basically what a Veterans Treatment Court is is a hybrid integration of drug court and mental health court that serves military veterans and sometimes active duty personnel. The first Veterans Court was implemented in 2008 up in Buffalo, New York by Judge Robert Russell and since then, there's been over 300 implemented across this country. And that's an amazing amount of growth. Um, Aaron, uh, to my knowledge, I can't think of another criminal justice program that has grown as much uh, or as fast as veterans treatment courts. I'd have to agree with you. I mean, drug courts uh, have been around longer and there are more of them, but they didn't grow quite as fast as we're seeing veterans treatment courts grow today. And, Ruby, the role of the Bureau of Justice Assistance within the U.S. Department of Justice, I mean, you are the Associate Deputy Director for Justice Systems Policy. Um, Obviously, you're here to support BJA's involvement in Veterans Treatment Courts, correct? That's correct. BJA provides uh, training, funding. In fact, we've stood up uh, almost 200 uh, veteran treatment court teams around this country, um, training soup to nuts, making sure that those team members understand what their roles and responsibilities are, that they come out of that training with a policy and procedures manual, and they're ready to go and open those doors to veterans. We also provide federal funding through the drug court uh, program solicitation, and veteran treatment courts are eligible to come in for federal funding, federal grants to support the implementation of these courts around the country. I can't think of any other program where everybody's on board. Uh, Everybody's enthusiastic. Everybody wants this to occur. So the question is why? Why is it growing so fast? Why is everybody on board with this? Well, I would say because they work, Len. Uh, First of all, um, veterans are not typically criminals prior to their military service, and uh, some veterans um, um, have experienced things and done things that most of us can't imagine, and uh, they come home and sometimes they struggle. Sometimes they um, uh, self-medicate with alcohol and drugs, and they unfortunately find themselves involved in the criminal justice system. And really what veterans treatment courts do is they're an opportunity to intervene in the lives of veterans before things escalate for them in the system. And, and, And what they're doing is they're restoring veterans' lives. Um, they're reducing recidivism, they're enhancing public safety and saving taxpayer dollars. So it's kind of checking all the boxes. Is there an issue with veterans and crime? 
Well, it, typically, um, like I said, veterans are not criminals prior to their service, and they're coming home, and, and they're really struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury, and it's taking them down a path. And I think that's why it's so critical for um, our system to intervene before um, they go down a, a deeper path. People so far have seen uh, are seemingly bullish about veterans' treatment courts, and the question either goes out uh, to Aaron or to Ruby. Um, so most people seem to feel that they do better than the typical um, drug courts or the typical treatment courts, that veterans, given the chance, have uh, an opportunity to rearrange their lives and straighten their lives out, but they need assistance. So uh, first of all, am I right with the perception that veterans' treatment courts seem to have great potential than other specialty treatment courts? There are obviously a proliferation of drug courts around the country. As Aaron said, that movement has been building and growing for the past 25 years. But since then, we've also seen other specialty or problem-solving courts address the special needs of individuals in, in our communities, including mental health courts and then, of course, veterans treatment courts. I think that the issue is is to find the diversion opportunity if you want to reduce incarceration and get people the help and the services that they need so they can lead productive lives, crime-free, mm-hmm. uh, to find the right intervention for them. And the project that we're talking about today, we hope, is going to lead us down that road. Do they see equal or better um, outcomes as drug courts that we know of? Mm -hmm. I think more research for sure needs to be done, but outcomes are looking good so far. Well, everybody seems to be very encouraged about that. Everybody seems to be very encouraged in terms of the outcomes thus far. Um, So we've had 2.5 million men and women serve in uh, our country uh, since uh, 9-11, and and 1.5 million serving overseas. So veterans come home, they struggle with combat-related issues, as Greg said a little while ago, PTSD, uh, major depression, homelessness, suicide, and some uh, are ending up with us within the criminal justice system. So this is not just a matter of good criminal justice policy. This has a moral issue attached to it as well, uh, uh, does it not? Greg? Oh, I think so. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, um, here's the deal. You know, like you said, we had 2.5 million serve our country since 9-11, and really it's a volunteer service. These people are serving our country uh, as volunteers so the rest of us don't have to go and um, go overseas and fight our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan or wherever they are. So absolutely, I think we have an obligation to try to help them. So where are we going with all of this? Uh, The Bureau of Justice Assistance in the U.S. Department of Justice is providing funding for the expansion of drug court. We are talking about evaluating drug court. We are talking about creating specialized instruments um, for drug court. Uh, The National Institute of Corrections is coming out at a certain point with a a, uh, white paper uh, that describes uh, what best practices in in drug court. Yeah. Uh, But what we want to talk about here today is the, um, the white paper actually served as a platform for all of NIC's veteran-specific initiatives. Uh, We've also done a three-hour live satellite broadcast on veterans' treatment courts. Uh, And um, also with that, um, um, I contacted Ruby over at BJA about a potential collaboration to develop a risk-needs assessment tool um, that factors in trauma for justice-involved veterans. And so um, as a former probation officer, um, back in the day, I I would get cases and and these veterans coming in from a joint base Lewis McCord over in Pierce County, Washington, 
they would be ordered to do domestic violence treatment, and um, nothing on the court order would, would, would touch their underlying issues of PTSD and TBI that I think are you know, a major cause of them leading into the system. And that's why um, we, dev- we partnered on this project, because we thought there needs to be some science behind what we're doing in these veterans' treatment courts. And I don't want to steal Aaron's thunder, um, but I'll let him talk a little bit about the project. Go ahead, Eric. Thanks, Greg. I, I mean, Greg hit it on the head. We're trying to put some science behind uh, what veterans treatment courts are doing. And I should just give a little context to say that in the drug court field, uh, for a number of years now, uh, courts have been eager to adopt evidence-based risk-need assessments. And all that means is uh, to use a standardized set of questions um, that courts um, or probation departments will ask to offenders who are coming into the court system to try to identify what are their actual needs that we can help to address to reduce their risk of reoffending. Um, and those tools exist. Uh, there are many of them that are being used in the drug court context. Um, they have been proven over and over again in the research um, to help courts do a better job of getting people the appropriate kinds of supervision and treatment they need and reduce their long-term risk of reoffending. What has not existed up till now is a specialized risk-need tool designed specifically for the veterans, uh, the justice-involved veterans population. And that's what this project uh, is intended to create. Uh, here at the Center for Court Innovation, uh, we're, we're a nonprofit justice reform uh, organization in New York City. And uh, what we're doing is, with our in-house uh, research department, um, is to create the first um, evidence-based risk-need assessment tools for the use uh, in veterans' treatment courts. And it's important that whatever risk instrument that we come up with, is, is that it really works with that particular population, whether it be juveniles, whether it be women, whether it be men, whether it be adults, whether it be um, pretrial, whether it be um, supervision, uh, adult supervision, uh, whether it be, it doesn't matter. I mean, the whole idea is to create a risk instrument uh, that is going to be germane to that particular population. So what is unique about, uh, Aaron, about the the veterans and, and a risk instrument? That's exactly right. So we've actually spent the last 12 months uh, working, um, like I said, with our in-house researchers, with our partner agencies around the country, uh, like the National Association of Drug Court Professionals and Justice for Vets, other organizations um, who work in this field as well as a hand-picked committee of experts um, in the field who are helping us to identify what are the specific unique factors that veterans bring to the justice system and how can we reflect those in a new evidence-based risk-need tool. And some of those we've already talked about. Um, The exposure to combat trauma and the resulting um, post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury, and other uh, mental health issues uh, that emerge from that, Um, the substance abuse, uh, and other kind of uh, behavioral health factors that can that can emerge after folks return home, um, making sure that all of those um, very specific uh, needs are reflected in the the instrument itself, so that courts have the tools they need um, to make sure that folks are getting the appropriate levels of supervision and treatment. And that's the the tool. The tools are essentially um, done at this point. We're excited. Um, after a year, we've 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 drafted up the tools and they're ready to be tested in the field. 
Ruby, this is exciting. Now, you represent a Bureau of Justice Assistance from the U.S. Department of Justice, and within the Obama administration, what they have done through federal agencies and through funding to state, local, tribal agencies is to expand the concept of alternatives to traditional ways of conducting criminal justice. Uh, And this is exciting because it's moving in a dozen different directions. We are basically reinventing the way that we uh, operate the criminal justice system on a wide variety of, of platforms. The treatment court, the veterans treatment court is just one of them. Without a doubt. Um, I think, and I think we know so much more about what contributes to uh, criminal behavior and what this project lends itself towards is furthering to to narrow that and to get the right people into the right program at the right time. And I think Aaron hit on it when he said that the intention for this risk and needs assessment is to figure out for the individual that you're presented with in that courtroom on that day with using an assessment tool that's accurate for that population and for that person's peers, what is their risk level so that they, we can assign supervision accordingly. We don't want to over-supervise. We don't want to under-supervise. We want to get it right. Um, for needs assessment, what kinds of potentially substance abuse treatment might that individual need? What kind of mental health counseling? What should that look like? What should the dosage be um, so that we can give people what they need? And the point here is to increase their functional outcomes, the way that they um, behave and act in society in a way that's beneficial to them and to the rest of us and to reduce recidivism, thereby, you know, enhancing public safety for the community that those folks live in. But the larger question is that it becomes a larger issue. Um, Veterans treatment courts go hand in hand with regular treatment courts, go hand in hand with all sorts of opportunities and endeavors the federal government and state governments and local governments are trying to employ nowadays to operate the criminal justice system differently, uh, to intervene in the lives of, in- of individuals earlier, uh, to, to defer them or to uh, keep them out of the, the mainstream criminal justice system, if at all humanly possible, to provide treatment services in prison and on post-release. I mean, this is part of a larger effort, correct? Without Abs- a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It, is, it is the move towards risk-based decision-making while striking a balance between reducing unnecessary incarceration and maintaining or increasing public safety. That's the goal. Because every governor in every state has had a conversation with their state public safety secretaries or their directors of corrections and basically said, uh, look, you know, the, the correctional budget is now the second largest component of our state budget. Um, we cannot continue uh, to bring in the numbers of people that we have. It's, it's impossible to, to sustain this level of funding. So we need alternatives. Now, you can look at that from a, a cost-effectiveness point of view. You have now both sides of the political aisle. It doesn't matter what side you're on. They are now supportive because they want a bigger bang for tax-paid dollars. They want more results. Uh, this is all part of a unique and growing and interesting aspect to criminal justice um, administration. I I have been in the system for 45 years, and I have never seen what I'm seeing now in terms of that emphasis on on programs, that emphasis on treatment, that emphasis on is there another way of handling this person besides simply throwing them in prison. So the Veterans Treatment Court seems to be a natural outcome of that. It's the growth that astounds me for Veterans Treatment Courts. Yeah, well, I think... um 
you know, you talked about the numbers. I mean, since the early 80s, we've seen nearly a 400% increase in the U.S. prison population. And um, I think the writing was on the wall. I think everybody's on board that um, alternatives are critical to turning this thing around for our country. I mean, we have basically one in 35 adults under some form of correctional supervision, whether it be prison, uh, probation, parole, um, you know, so something needed to be done. And, and um, you know, when this first court was implemented in 2008, we immediately started seeing results. And um, not only is it effective. It's really just, it's a humane way to go about treating our veterans. We're more than halfway through the program, ladies and gentlemen. We're doing a show today on veterans treatment courts with the National Institute of Corrections and with the Bureau of Justice Assistance and with the Center for Court Innovation. Harold Arnold is Director of Treatment Programs for the Center for Court Innovation. Greg Crawford is a Correctional Program Specialist on at the Community Services Division of the National Institute of Corrections. And Ruby Kozolbash is, I hope I'm not Screwing that name up. Ruby is a, the uh, Associate Deputy Director for Justice Systems Policy at the Bureau of Justice Assistance within the U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, where do we see drug treatment courts going? Uh, Aaron, I'm going to start off with you. Um, so for the next 10 years, if we've had this explosive growth, and since 2008, we have 300 uh, treatment courts, uh, veterans treatment courts throughout the country, where does that take us 10 years from now? Well, I think part of part of the trend is what we're discussing here today is to make science-based decisions. Um, you know, there's tons and tons of research from the last 25 years on drug treatment courts, and we can be very confident at this point that drug treatment courts, when implemented uh, correctly, reduce the risk of reoffending, keep people in treatment longer, promote recovery, uh, and all of the things that we're trying to accomplish in the justice system. There is less research, as Ruby mentioned earlier, um, that's focused specifically on veterans treatment courts. So, so one one area that we need to continue to push in the next decade is to uh, bolster the amount of research that's specifically geared toward veterans treatment courts, verify, as we've done in the drug court world, um, that we're getting um, the results um, that we want to see, and create tools like we're creating in this uh, veterans treatment court enhancement initiative um, uh, to help these courts make uh, decisions that are rooted in science and, and help to uh, to get the best long-term outcomes for uh, the justice-involved veteran population. I would imagine somewhere along the line what we want is for every court system in the United States to have a veterans treatment court component to it, correct? I mean, if we're expanding the um, reach of the criminal justice system into uh, dozens of different specialty courts. Here in Washington, D.C., there are probably seven uh, specialty courts uh, dealing with uh, domestic violence, dealing with child custody cases. Uh, you know, This is something that we see, I would imagine, expanding to every court system in the United States. I would imagine if there's any particular group of individuals that people feel some sense of a allegiance towards, it would be our veterans. I think you're right, and and uh, as you mentioned earlier, there seems to be very broad-based support for these courts, even more so than some of the other specialized court models. And I think we've we've already you know established that part of the reason for that is a desire to help veterans who have um, you know have volunteered, as Greg was saying earlier, um, and risk their own their own lives um, to protect all of us. And so so there's definitely um, plenty of reason um, that we want to see these courts spread. And again, part of the reason for creating these specialized 
uh, risk need tools and, uh, and, other, and other tools to support these courts is so that we can facilitate um, their spread in, in all kinds of state and county and local jurisdictions that, that want to create them. Yeah, and, and Len, real quick, I just wanted to say that uh, building off what Aaron just talked about, I want to, um, uh, you know, NIC's vision for this, and I'm, and I'm hoping BJA and CCI's, I'm, I'm pretty confident to say that this is our vision to have uh, this risk needs assessment tool and protocol be the standard for the field. Um, we're trying, to, as we talked about, develop the science, uh, and we want to make this available to the field. And, and I think Ruby can talk about the funding opportunities that would support this this uh, this tool. Ruby, happy to. We every year the Bureau of Justice Assistance releases a drug court program solicitation, and courts can come in uh, to, for funding to implement brand new programs to enhance existing programs, and that means ramping up your capacity and the types of services that are being provided to ramp up the number, or the percent of the arrestee population um, for whom this is a good option has the option to go through a drug court or a veteran treatment court program. I also just wanted to mention that for the past couple of years, the Bureau of Justice Assistance has seen a new appropriation, um, a line item to the tune of $5 million that that is aimed just for support for veteran treatment courts. So we're also seeing an increase in appropriations to be able to support these courts. And where are we going with this in terms of growth? So right now we're talking about $5 million from the Bureau of Justice Assistance. Um, we do, you agree with me that we would like to see this in every jurisdiction in the United States, an opportunity for every veteran to partake in these sort of programs? I think that is a, a noble goal. I think we've got, you know, 3,300 counties around the country. We've got pretty close to that in the mm-hmm. number of drug courts. Mm-hmm. And I think it really, you need to look at your population. If you have a sizable amount of veterans and it makes sense to develop a track where you can attach these resources, and we should talk about some of the things that make veteran treatment courts different um, than drug courts. Uh, Please. Greg started out by saying these are hybrid drug and mental health courts. I think that is one potential difference. Um, There are a lot of resources and partnership that come from the Department of Veteran Affairs um, and access to uh, benefits and um, supports and services through the VA that are attached to these courts in most jurisdictions. Um, the idea of a mentor is new um, and does not, I, is, I think, is not a part of most uh, drug courts around the country. And I think a, a theme or a trend, and Aaron or Greg could talk more about this, um, but the people that choose and self-select to work in veterans treatment courts oftentimes are veterans themselves, mm-hmm. um, judges, prosecutors, defense attorneys, and others that, that support the services uh, within that court. So there's a camaraderie. Um, and, and there's a feeling as if we want to support our, our fellow veterans um, to heal, to recover, um, and to stay crime-free. I have a friend of mine who fought at the Battle of Iwo Jima uh, during the Second World War. He's a veteran, and he's not being taken care of in terms of his medical needs. And I was assisting him in terms of trying to get him the attention that he was looking for, and I didn't have to search far. Uh, there are all the veterans groups that I contacted and said, look, we've got a World War II <laughs> ex-Marine who fought at the Battle of Iwo Jima and survived, and he needs help. And, boy, that help came rather quickly. Um, So within the veterans community, there is support uh, across the board for fellow veterans, is there not? Absolutely. And um, what we're saying when we go out into the field is, uh, you know, Ruby mentioned mentors. Um, There's not a shortage of mentors out there. Uh, Veterans volunteer to help other veterans, and they kind of live by the motto, leave no veteran behind. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, 
you go into the courtroom um, and a veteran is immediately assigned a mentor and the mentor will take them in the hallway and they'll start talking to them and they they're not part of the veterans treatment court team they're 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 there to be uh, um, help them through the labyrinth of the criminal justice system right a veterans treatment court team will consist of a judge a prosecutor defense probation court coordinator and critical of the su- success of these programs of the US Department of Veterans Affairs and the community treatment providers and basically it's the the court system the VA and the community treatment providers working together for a common goal but the mentors are really as judge Russell called them uh, in our in our live broadcast the secret sauce they're the they're, mm-hmm. the, they're the ones that really make this thing work uh, they fill in the gaps um, you know get them a mattress uh, a bus ticket kind of help them overcome the obstacles have a cup of coffee and just mm-hmm. kind of talk them through uh, and that is very unique uh, to these diversionary programs that doesn't happen in other as Ruby mentioned other courts no, I mean, uh, we have our own mentors here at the court services and offender supervision agency but there's not enough of them that's the thing that I find really interesting about uh, veterans treatment courts is that there always seems to be that league of veterans uh, who are willing to help this individual in trouble. Yeah. When I've been out to several sites, I've been to a couple of national conferences, and without a doubt, uh, everybody I've come across is not just collecting a paycheck. Well, I mean, but these are volunteers is yeah, what I'm talking about. It, I'm it, talking it, about both the team, people working in the courts yes. and also the volunteers. Yeah. Volunteers are, are, are committed to helping other veterans. This is a mission. This Absolutely. is just not a criminal justice program. This is a mission. These are people who are wildly enthusiastic about dr- veterans treatment courts. I mean, this is something that's growing rapidly, fastest growing program I've seen, um, and, and uh, different people that I've talked to about this concept. You, you could have an individual veteran before the bench. Um, and and find himself or herself with not just a mentor, but two, three, four, five mentors. I mean, that's exciting. And and that's why I'm predicting that Veterans Treatment Courts is going to continue to grow like wildfire and continue to show good results because of that treatment team, because of the volunteers who are willing to help that individual. Aaron? I agree with you. And, you know, one of the things that we see at the Center for Court Innovation in the last 20 years is, is a little bit of um, fatigue sometimes with the, the fact that, as you mentioned earlier, the creation of all these specialized court parts. And, you know, there are people who wonder, you know, why, you know, why do we need so many specialized court parts? And are we going to have a specialized court part for everything under the sun? But with these veterans courts, I mean, whatever your feeling on that question is, with these veterans treatment courts, um, we see that having veterans together with other veterans, Veterans, supported by mentors, supported by, as Ruby said, um, staff and judges who themselves oftentimes are mentors and have, have requested to be part of this team. Um, it creates a special environment that gets better results. And at the end of the day, I think it's hard to argue um, against a, a system that gets better results and kind of treats people in a more thoughtful, humane manner, uh, gets them the support that they need. Judges seem to have a magical uh, place within the criminal justice system. We, within the adult correct system can intervene in the lives of individuals all day long, but nothing seems to get the attention of the individual before the bench as a judge does. So a very involved judge seems to be the secret sauce in some ways uh, as to why specialty courts work. Anybody want to take a shot at that? And that bears out in the research. I think some of the strongest research effects are seen in judicial interaction with the participant in that court program. It is 
the way that they interact, the eye contact that they make, the amount of time that they spend with that individual, remembering personal details about the individual's life, um, celebrating successes or milestones that they've been able to reach is shown to be and borne out to be very impactful and, and definitely have better outcomes for those folks. And I would guess as well is that the reason why this is growing uh, like wildfire is that judges themselves seem to have that magic uh, ability to bring the entire criminal justice system together for change uh, in ways that uh, others uh, within the, ex- the executive branch cannot. So judges have a way of, of producing these specialty courts or veterans treatment courts. Um, maybe it's because of the judges themselves that this is growing as quickly as, as it is. You, you, that's exactly right. In fact, you just you said exactly what I was thinking is that um, in, in ter- you were asking earlier about where do we see the growth going. In many cases, it is the motivated judge at the local level who is a veteran or, or, or has family members who are veterans and has a special place uh, in their heart for this kind of work. They're oftentimes the ones who are driving the creation of these programs and making them successful rather than having, um, you know, like a statewide administrative uh, decision-making process. These are oftentimes local, locally driven initiatives um, because people care about serving their veterans. Ruby, we've got about a minute left. So I was just going to add, I think this is an, an area that we can learn from drug courts. Um, drug courts began with a leader judge in that community or, or uh, judicial district that got a team together and used the power, the authority of the bench to be able to do that. And when drug courts became institutionalized in communities and that started to be a rotational judgeship, um, or you had people that didn't self-select into those positions, sometimes you lose some of that secret sauce. And so I think we need to learn from the drug court movement um, and make sure that we're standing up veterans treatment courts in a way that they're sustainable. Ruby, you've got the final word. I find this to be a fascinating concept, an encouraging concept, and I really want to thank uh, Harold Arnold, uh, the Director of Treatment Programs uh, for the at the Center of Court Innovations, Greg Crawford at the National Institute of Corrections, and Ruby Kalsenbash, the Deputy Director for Justice Systems Policy at the Bureau of Justice Assistance. Ladies and gentlemen, this is D.C. Public Safety. We appreciate your comments. We even appreciate your criticisms, and we want everybody to have themselves a very, very pleasant day. (laughs) 